All right, like I said, we're in verse 19 through 34 of the book of John, chapter 1. Um, Corey and Rex have been opening this book up for us, and it's been very helpful, very insightful. So hopefully we're going to move through today and continue on with that trend. Um, I have two goals, really, today. I want to talk about John the Baptist, uh, who he is, why his testimony is important. Um, and then we're going to talk about the, the start of Jesus' earthly ministry and him being declared the Messiah. And that's basically how this passage is divided up into those two sections. Um, and uh, so first we're going to go through and just kind of read our passage, and then we will... No, man, I just love it. Straight forward. Okay. It's going to be a great morning. You're walking straight at me. I'm like, uh oh. This is bad, guys. No, no, no. I'll get 50 you guys, man. So we're going to read through verse 19 through 34, and then we'll get into all that stuff. All right. So, starting in verse 19, and this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. And they asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across from Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom the Spirit descends and remains, this is who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Ooh, amen. And we're done. I mean, there's pretty, uh, pretty jam-packed, a lot of amazing things in this passage. Like I said, we're going to answer the question first, who is this John the Baptist? Anyone want to give a, I guess, not the first Southern Baptist, but John the Baptist? He wasn't. No, he wasn't. The trail of blood's not there. Oh, say it, say it louder. He's the cousin of Jesus. There you go. He's the cousin of Jesus, right? <laughs> say that again. Son of Zachariah and Elizabeth, exactly. Yep. Mm, very important note there. Yes, he's the prophet who broke 400 years of silence. And what Rex is referring to there is that 
that white space between Malachi and Matthew, that space, 400 years where God didn't speak to his people. There was nothing. Just what they had in scripture, the scrolls that they had and whatnot. And then comes along this dude dressed in camel's hair, eating locusts and honey, right? Mm -hmm. Wild honey and locusts. Super weird. Probably lots of bee stings. I don't know, maybe they liked it because of the camel's hair. I don't know. But, yeah, so that's, that's John. His, his, his story can actually be found in every one of the Gospels, um, just at different lengths and whatnot. The most in-depth background, really, you can find in the book of Luke, chapter 1 through 3. You'll find <coughs> the, the story of John, um, his, the, the foretelling of John coming, John the Baptist coming, is actually in verse, uh, Luke 1, verse 5 through 25. Uh, it's also the vision that Zechariah, his father, who was a high priest, who was in the Holy of Holies when an angel came to visit him um, and told him what was going to happen. Uh, Zechariah actually went mute after that experience because he didn't fully get on board uh, immediately with the angel. Then chapter 138 through 80, we see the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus, visiting Elizabeth, John's mother, and um, uh, John leaping in the womb at the presence of Jesus in the womb of Mary. Not leaping in the womb at the presence of Mary, unlike some would like to say, but at the presence of Jesus in the womb of Mary, which is just a miracle in and of itself. So if you ever get time, go read about that. Uh, then it goes on to John's birth and Zachariah no longer becoming mute in that 38 through 80 passage. Um, and then there's actually this really awesome prophecy that Zechariah gives about John the Baptist. Um, and it's really summed up in 76 through 79. And it says this, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare his way. Sounds pretty familiar to what we just read. And to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercies of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of his peace. That's 76 through 79 of Luke chapter 1. And then chapter 3, 1 through 22, is the baptism of Jesus in Luke. So if you want more background on John the Baptist, you want to read his whole kind of starting story, Go to Luke 1 through 3. So to summarize, yeah, John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin on Mary's side. Uh, And he's the prophet that's supposed to prepare the way for the Lord. So that kind of answers our next question of why is this testimony important? Why is this section even in here? Why is John the Baptist's story in all all four Gospels? It's because he is the one who is to prepare the way for the Lord's coming. And this is a reference to Isaiah 40, verse 3, where it says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And this section is actually paralleled in uh, Matthew, Matthew 3, 3, Mark 1, 2 through 3, Luke 1, 22 through 23. So it's pretty important, you know, whenever something, the way I was raised, if it's repeated in the Bible, probably something worth paying attention to. It's probably something that's important. So hearing a prophecy in the Old Testament 
in multiple places like Isaiah 40 and Malachi 4-5 and then seeing it repeated in the New Testament and seeing it fulfilled in the New Testament. First of all, it's just cool to be able to see prophecy fulfilled in, in our eyes, a short time span because we're able to read the book. But for them, it was hundreds of years between these events. And these are things that the people were looking forward to, right? Like, we're looking forward to the second coming of Christ. They were looking forward to the first fulfillment of, of that, the first coming of the Messiah, right? So they're looking for these signs, they're looking for someone who's going to come, who's going to prepare that way, and then who's actually going to be that person. So this is a, a really important part, and that's why John is, is really important. So that's John the Baptist. Uh, now we're going to start uh, to go through the passage, but any questions about Mr. J.B.? Any additional comments? Um, <clears throat> sorry. Regarding what is included and what is not included in this section, I think it bears noting that what was said in that section earlier that, that I ended up talking about was that he was to be a witness. And I talked about the two halves of that. And how this he tells us he saw and he bore witness. And he fulfilled and he even it, he proclaims at the end, I've done what I was basically says, I have done it. Mm -hmm. I've borne witness. Yeah. We'll get there. Exactly. Alright, so the the passage um, is going to have a couple of questions that we're going to go through that is being asked of John. We're going to kind of take them apart and see why they're being asked, why they're important. Um, and those questions are basically, who, who are you, John the Baptist? By what authority are you doing the things that you're doing? And then the last section of the passage is the declaration of Jesus as Messiah. So 19 through 23, we see that, uh, these priests and Levites asking the question, who is this guy? So I have a question for you first, though. Why, why are the priests and Levites there? We know they were sent, but why travel all this way? you got to remember, John is on the bank of the Jordan doing these things. And that is about 25 miles from Jerusalem, which is where these guys probably would have been originally. In, in modern-day time, that's a 40-minute drive with the current roads and vehicles that they have. Back then, 25 miles, that's days of walking or riding on a donkey or a camel, maybe, if you're lucky. So why travel all this way for some weird dude in camel skin eating locust and honey? Right. Yeah. You re you got to remember these are the priests and the Levites. 
And if you remember your Old Testament or even us going through the book of Hebrews, they had specific roles, right? They were there in order to bring cleansing, in order to bring purification for the people. And in John, it doesn't uh, explicitly say what he was saying. But if you look in the parallel passages in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he says specifically, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it says of him that he was proclaiming a baptism of repentance and a forgiveness of sins. And again, that was their job. Right? That's what these people did. They were in the sanctuary, in the temple, sacrificing bulls and goats and birds and all these other things, sprinkling altars and you know, making these big attempts and these signs, these sacrifices that they were told to do by God. So it's not bad that they were doing it. They were doing this for a reason. And now we have this weird dude down on the river preaching and proclaiming the baptism of repentance and the forgiveness of sins, which up to this point was only done through the sacrifice. So it's a big deal. This guy is drawing attention, not just from the lay people, the people around him in that area, which wasn't a lot of people, but also bringing people in from the city and then these city leaders, these religious leaders, rather, who are seeing this guy doing something that they're supposed to be doing. It's a big difference. It's a big um, shift, if you will, in the way that Israel even conducts themselves. And it's going to change the way that Israel conducts themselves going forward as well. <clears throat> and they don't like competition. If you know anything about Jesus' life, you, you know they don't like that stuff. So, in other words, he was fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 40, verse 3, and Malachi 3, verse 1, because God said that he would send a messenger before him to prepare the way for the Lord and to make his path straight. If you guys remember two weeks ago, Rex gave us a really good understanding of what, what that meant to make way, or make, make the path straight for the way of the Lord. These people back in the day, when they would go before a king or, or a lord, they would not just herald and say, hey, the king's coming, get ready, bring your best stuff, maybe take a bath, first time in this year, you know, get ready, get yourselves ready. But they would actually remove obstacles and they would flatten the land, they would fill potholes, they would make the path nice, really nice and straight for them. John's doing the same exact thing here. Before, there was obstacles. It's the sacrificial system. It's the bulls and goats and all this blood. Gosh, it must have smelled terrible. But it was, it was all these things that kept them from being able to experience true peace and true forgiveness. John is sent to make that path different to make it straight and to prepare the way. He's not the one that's going to make it different. He's the one just preparing the way so that when the Messiah comes, all those things can change. So the priests and the Levites obviously heard about John the Baptist being sent by the Pharisees, and they decided to investigate, and that's what they're doing here in this passage. And I want you to pay attention, just really quickly skim over it, and look at how John answers their questions. He's very direct. He's very curt. But he's also deflecting. He's not talking about himself. I'm not. No, it's not me. I'm not the Christ. I'm the one doing this. But it's always pointing outward. It's always pointing away from himself and towards Christ, towards the Messiah. So let's get into those questions. First question is, who are you? 
And he answered, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And you see, John answers show his awareness of why they're there. They didn't ask, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we've been waiting for for thousands of years? They didn't ask that. They just said, who are you? And he's already like, look, it's, it's not me. It's not about me. But I'm telling you, I'm not that guy that you're actually asking about. I'm not the Christ. And it shows that he's aware that other people were proclaiming and claiming to be somebody that they're not, right? There's a lot of people back in those days, just like today, who are charlatans and who would claim to be something that they're not. And we actually get a sense of this in Acts uh, 5, 35-38, when I'm going to butcher it, Gamaliel, thank you, uh, references someone named Thetis, who claimed to be someone, and then he died, and all of his followers left him, right? So this is something that happened a lot, that people are proclaiming to be somebody, and they just weren't. And John, the Baptist, wants to make sure that his, the people coming to him know it's not, that's not what I'm here for. I'm not here for me. I'm here for him. So the second question, are you Elijah? I am not. Why Elijah? Someone tell me. So I can drink. Why? I saw you say it, Jed. Say it louder. gave us that really good connection back to Kings as well last week or the week before that one of those two uh, but Malachi 4 5 says behold I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes so the, again these are the priests and the Levites you got to understand they knew the scriptures some of them by heart back and forth they could they could say it in whatever language you ask them to they were they were in tune with what these prophecies were supposed to be. So the asking of, are you Elijah, is not weird. It's weird for us, unless you know your Old Testament. But Elijah was supposed to come. And John replies, I am not. Which is weird. Why is that weird? We know he's not Elijah. Yeah, he's answering the direct question. He's answering their direct question. Exactly. Are you Elijah incarnate? Right, incarnate, that's, that's the key. Elijah didn't come back from the dead, right? And I think that's probably what they were thinking, is literally Elijah, the same dude, long beard, splits waters, all that kind of stuff. He's the one that called down the fire for Baal, right? And killed all the prophets of Baal. I always get Elijah and Elisha mixed up, so forgive me. But great dude, did a lot of stuff. They expected him to come back. Um, but... It's really, truly accepted, widely accepted that John the Baptist is Elijah in function, right? In the spirit of Elijah, but not in the form of Elijah specifically, because we don't believe in reincarnation, because it's not a thing. And the reason why that's widely accepted is because Jesus said it. So that's why we should say it. So in, in Matthew 11, 7 through 14, you'll actually see Jesus talking about 
John the Baptist and saying, you know, did you go down to see a reed shaken by the wind? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, it was a man with camel's hair and eating locusts and honey. But Jesus tells them that he's actually the best, the, the, the greatest prophet to ever be is John the Baptist. And then in verse 14, Matthew 11, verse 14, it says, and if you will accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. That's why we should accept it. So he is Elijah in function and in spirit, but not in form. And then the next question, are you the prophet? No. Who's the prophet? Which prophet? There's a lot of prophets. If you know your Old Testament, there's a lot of prophets. We just talked about one of them, Elijah. So which prophet do you think that they're referring to? Who's this prophesied? The Lord will give you another prophet like unto me. To him you shall listen. That was almost a perfect quote. Fantastic. Yeah, Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 and 18, it says it explicitly. The Lord your God, this is 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And then 18, it says, I will raise up for you, uh, for them, a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So that's this prophet. Now what seems to be interesting is that the priests and the Levites think that this prophet is different from the Messiah. It's an interesting thought. We know they're one and the same. But the reason why it looks like they think that is because of the two separate questions that they ask. And then later on, they're going to say, when they're asking about why he does this, they say, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? If they knew the truth that that prophet who is here to speak the words of God to the people and you're supposed to listen to him was the Christ, they would have combined that. They wouldn't have separated it. So it shows you kind of where their thoughts are, the fact that they had to ask him those, those questions separately. And then we get into that question. Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Again, John the Baptist knows that these people have an agenda. They're seeking to find out if, if this guy is important, if John the Baptist is important. And John wants them to know who truly is important. He's always pointing them away from himself and pointing them straight to Christ. And that's why you can see his answer in 26 and 27 is important. He says, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Always pointing back to Christ. And then we see that, again, it, it gives us this clue. John, the, the author, gives us this clue, again, of his placement, the fact that this took place in Bethany across from the Jordan, which is where John the Baptist was baptizing. <clears throat> then we move on to 29 through 34. And we see that this takes place the next day after that set of questions that the priests and Levites had for John the Baptist. Um, and we're going to see four things that really happen, and I didn't put these in order like I should have. But we see that Jesus is going to be revealed as the Messiah, and John the Baptist um, has been preparing the way for him. 
John the Baptist realizes who the Messiah is, because if you look at his answers beforehand, he's saying, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you don't even know. He who comes after me. You know, he's not, he's not saying this Jesus is the one who I'm doing this for. This Jesus is the one who comes after me. I can't even untie his sandals. He's just telling them, this is, I'm here for this person, this Messiah. So look for him. Don't look at me. And then John, the author, actually is going to bring us back to verse 1 and 2 of the first chapter of John and see that Jesus is that word that he was before. And then uh, point number four is we're going to meet, this is just something fun to say, we're going to meet the first experiential Trinitarian, which if you know anything about (coughs) Trinitarian theology, that'll make sense to you. We're going to get into it. So 29 Right? Yeah. 29, Jesus, John sees Jesus coming and declares an amazing statement. So you got to think, think about that prophecy that Zechariah said of John, right? That you're going to be preparing the way. for the, uh, You're going to be the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare his way. This is something that Zechariah said as he was born. This is a prophecy that... He's been living his whole life. John the Baptist has been living his whole life trying to prepare the way. He's in the wilderness for the majority of his life as well. Right? So it all comes to head at this one point in time when he sees Jesus, again, who's his cousin. He's known him his whole life. He's probably wrestled with him. Probably played in the mud. A lot of mud there. You know, no doubt so. I'm glad so glad a couple of you guys got him. Ask me later. Um, but he, he spent a whole lifetime waiting for this one moment. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And just When I was reading this, I'm just like, man, my whole life for this one minute, this one second of seeing the Messiah and being able to proclaim those words. He must have thought about it. You know, like, what's it going to be like? You know, what's, it, what's, he, what's he, what's he going to look like? Is he going to look like David? Is he going to look more like Saul? You know, tall? And, uh, I don't know. That's what I'd be doing. Thinking about just trying to visualize what this amazing moment's going to be like. And we see he's he's obviously taken aback and he's excited to see this thing happen. And his the the phrasing he uses is very purposeful, right? He calls Jesus the Lamb of God. Again, if you know anything about the Old Testament, that's a huge, huge thing. Because again, in Exodus and Leviticus, the, the Passover, they had to do what? They had to kill the spotless lamb, put the blood on the lentils, eat the whole thing before the morning. And uh, in the Day of Atonement, they had to kill the one lamb for the sins of all the people of Israel until next year. Because they had to do it every year. which shows you the incompleteness of that sacrificial system and Jesus is this lamb that one lamb that they're looking for the lamb that's referenced in Isaiah 53 7 the lamb who is silent that they lead to the slaughter he is the perfect sacrificial lamb who takes away the sins of the world he then moves on and declares Jesus again in another way and one just as powerful in verse 30, he says, 
This is of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. Again, that, that powerful statement is a restatement of what John the author was saying in John 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. John, the author, is just tying these things together, reminding us of how important this Jesus is. And John the Baptist is providing more proof that Jesus is this Christ and the prophet and the Lord whose way needed to be prepared by somebody, by John the Baptist. He then, which is, he, he then goes on and admits he didn't even know that this was the guy, right? We talked about it already. He's, he's Jesus' cousin. He grew up with him, but he didn't know he was the Messiah. He didn't know he was the Christ, the spotless lamb, the one who takes away the sin of the world. We see that in verse 31 and 33a, 31, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. In 33, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, and then he talks about how he knows who the Messiah is going to be. And God gave him that proof that John spoke about, the signs which would be, again, 33b, he on whom the Spirit will descend and remain, this is who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So John the Baptist, again, Jesus' cousin, didn't know the significance of who Jesus was until this moment, until he saw the Spirit descending like a dove and remaining on Jesus. That's when he's like, this is it. This is the guy. This is who all of our hope, who all of our people, all the, the, the sacrifice, all the scraping by, all the sojourning, all the plagues, all the war, all the, all the everything has been leading up to this guy. He's our Savior. In other testimonies of Jesus' baptism, we actually see something else. We see Jesus is there bodily, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and then the voice of the Father, God the Father, speaking through the clouds. <coughs> In Matthew six or Matthew three sixteen through seventeen, Mark one ten through eleven, Luke three twenty two through twenty one, it says, "This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased." Again, the significance of this moment in time for John, for everyone who's there. I'm assuming these priests and Levites are probably still there as well, and them being witness to this man, to the, to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, to the beginning of the hope, of the future, of the peace and the rest that they've been striving for, all wrapped up in this one moment. The thought of that adds an interesting twist to uh, one of the accounts, probably, where he says to Jesus, I have need to be baptized by you as you come to me. That would have been before the revelation, this is the one. And yet he already recognized the superior character of Christ and what, how that must have put the pieces together yeah. in his mind. Yeah. 
the impact of that by hitting my word. Yeah, it's one of those things that so John admitting, John the Baptist admitting that he didn't even know him, I think is extremely relevant for us. Because John's just being faithful to what he was called to do, which is go baptize, prepare the way, right? Start talking about this thing, make sure it's known, prepare the way for this guy to come. He's just being faithful. He doesn't know who this guy is. He doesn't know that he's grown up with him. He doesn't know that he's even going to see him in the next couple of days, right? But he's just being faithful. And that's what, we, we don't know. We're not John the Baptist. We don't know the significance, though, of our conversations. We don't know the significance of how we raise our children today. To, to, to know what it's going to end up like, to know what they're going to end up doing and saying and whose lives they're going to touch. Every week that we come here, and learn, and worship together. We don't know the impact that it's happening on the people next to us. The people driving by, even, who are lost, who have no hope. And they see these people walking in here every Sunday. What's that about? Why are they doing that? They might, they might jeer at us and say, gosh, these Christians, they don't know anything. A lot of us don't. I certainly don't. But this thing does. But the, the fact is, us being faithful, just like John was faithful. We don't have to know the ends. We don't know. We don't have to know what the, the, the final thing is going to be like or how significant this moment or that moment is going to be. We just have to be faithful. We don't have to know. But back to the passage, we see uh, again that John is one of the first experiential Trinitarians. Because again, in these other testimonies, we see Jesus bodily, we see the Spirit descending like a dove, and we hear the Father speaking. Father, Son, and Spirit. The Holy Trinity. Right there. It's one of the most clear passages that don't have some weird... Uh, what are those called? Huh? No, well, it is... A, it, yes, but no, that... Uh, where some translations, some papyri say it this way, others papyri say it. Variant, thank you. Textual variant. This isn't one of those places that has a weird textual variant where you might not understand or might not have confidence in what it's actually saying. Very clear. There's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And John gets to experience them. And he's actually one of uh, only three others whose names we know who get to experience the same thing. We have John, the author of this book, with Peter and James. They're up on the mountain transfiguration. They all got to see Jesus in his, you know, his, his entire ministry. But on the mountain transfiguration, God talks while he's being transformed. And then in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit comes, like tongues that land on them, they also go to experience the Trinity. John, very luckily, gets to experience them all in one in one time. It's an amazing, just little tidbit that I'm just like geeking out on. When I'm reading this, I'm like, oh my gosh. One of the main purposes of witnessing was to witness that moment where God reveals himself. To go back to your application point, which I thought was very good, uh, the the question, you know, or the thing that would bring it to my head is Matthew 28, 
18, 19, and 20, they don't, there is no like time and place given for when you make disciples. Right. So, <coughs> discipling happens as you're going, it's a person, go. Yep. It's, it's not a, it's not the active verb to go, but it's, or the infinitive verb to go. It's a person, passive participle. And so it means as we go, we make disciples. Everywhere we go. So what does it look like to be faithful? As we go, we make disciples. Yeah. As we go, we witness to God's glory. As we go, we, you know, baptize. As we go, we teach. Them. As we do all these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So John, John is like the predecessor for our, like the model for what we're to do as believers, as followers of Christ. And um, I think to to miss out on that. Is to miss out on one of the greatest glories that John actually experienced, which is to experience the Lord's transforming power over his people yeah. um, and the salvation of his people inside of us. So, like, there's, um, if you're not going and making disciples, like, as you go making disciples, and you're just thinking that I have to go to there to make disciples, mm. you're missing all the steps in between where discipling is supposed to happen mm. as you wake up, as you lie down. As you, you know, do you know what I mean? Just kind of brings in that, yeah. that world. Um, and so it's, it's a beautiful picture of, and, and glorious picture for us to follow yeah. after this, is this, like, as you're going, be faithful, make sense. And a point on that, people think that missions are the only way, I think it's kind of yeah. part of where you're going. The, to go there, I can make a disciple over there. Or go to the boardwalk and do evangelism. Right. No, no. But, but, a disciple is what? A learner. learner. How are you going to go to Guatemala? Hopefully someone sees and knows that the Lord is good and sees the salvation in Jesus Christ. But are you there to help them learn? Hopefully there's someone else is there to help them learn. Right? But to disciple someone is to bring them along, help them learn, to raise them up, to give them information, to help them through the hard times, to show them the truth of God's word in the good and the bad. So it's a, it, it's not a, just a one-time thing, right? It's a lifelong thing. It's what you do with people. It's a great, a great point for you. Thank you. So, after... John the Baptist has stated the evidence that, uh, of the Christ being shown through Jesus. He then takes one more step and further calls Jesus the Son of God. Which must have been just kind of a cherry on top. You know, that one last thing for someone to be like, love the Lamb of God. I don't think... Oh, he's the... Oh, you're giving him a whole nother rank and title here to be the son of God to be that son of God they're all sons of God according to them a lot of people still think that Israel is the son of God yes. the chosen right. Jesus is the son of God to be given that title is just a whole it's a combination of the proofs that John the Baptist has been giving that he is the lamb of God he's the suffering servant from Isaiah he's the davidic seed and tying it back to 114 and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us we have seen him or we have seen his glory glory as of the only son of the father 
full of grace and truth. That's who this man is. And that's the beginning. That's the, the launch pad. This, this point where Jesus is now going to go in to the world and start his ministry. He's going to gather his disciples to him. He's going to start doing all these things and preaching this wonderful, true repentance. This true peace that they haven't had. That Israel's been looking for, hoping for, praying for, sacrificing for. All these hundreds, thousands, and thousands, not hundreds, but thousands of years. Another yeah. thing you were talking about Israel being the Son of God and Christ that I mentioned last week, the greater Israel, mm. uh, but it also in Luke's genealogy, where he goes backwards, all the way back to Adam, what does he say about him? The Son of God. And it shows that Christ is the second Adam who's going to succeed where Adam failed. Yeah. And everything that happens in the next you know, little bit when Jesus goes through his temptation and stuff, it's a reflection. It's Jesus doing better, being the better of Adam, being the better of Israel, being able to pass these temptations and just, no, we're not. I'm, I'm showing you the way that this should have happened in the first place. Yeah, he's better than Passover lamb as well. Because, yeah. you know, the day of atonement sacrifice was for that covenant community. Yeah. This isn't restricted to any ethnic group. This is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. The world. Which is good news for us. Yes. <laughs> just to expand it just a little bit more, the world is not a good thing in John. You know, it's yeah. an overwhelming, <laughs> bad connotation. It's a sinful thing that needs to be rescued. So, just to, just to put it out there, everyone who has sin. This is the lamb who takes away that sin for those who believe. Yeah, just to wrap it all up again, John was sent for a purpose. John made clear what his purpose was and who he was not and who he was here for. And then John gets to see that come to reality. And we get to meet Jesus as he starts his as he starts his ministry. So next week, we're going to get into Jesus calling his disciples, learning a little bit about them, uh, seeing some uh, really cool things happen with that. Um, but that's all of my notes. So anybody have questions, additional thoughts? Love to hear that. Annual endorsement for Andrew Peterson's Behold the Lamb of God album. Behold the Lamb of God album. Every year. Go listen to it. I, it's literally ringing in my head. <laughs> If you want a book, uh, it just if you want a book on the Trinity that I would highly recommend, the Forgotten Trinity by Dr. James White. That's where I got the the word experiential trinitarian, um, or the phrase rather. But it's a great book. Gosh, it just it opens your eyes to what sometimes is difficult to see in the scriptures. But there's nothing else. We're gonna pray. Uh, I just kept talking. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's pray and uh, ask the Lord to bless our time. Lord God, we thank you for a servant like John, who we can see be faithful through his life, through his testimony, through his preaching. 
to prepare the way and to show us the significance of the salvation that we enjoy because of your grace. Lord, we thank you that you have these things stored for us in your word for our benefit so that we can be transformed into the likeness of your Son. Lord, help us as we go today to remember that being faithful doesn't always have an end post, doesn't always have a spot where we're going to stop. It shouldn't have that spot. Lord, that we are, if we are faithful, you are faithful. Even when we are not faithful, you are faithful, God. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your examples that you give us. And we thank you, Lord, that you gave us this morning to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Lord, as we prepare our hearts and minds for the message today, Lord, help us to remember that. Help us to remember your Son. And as we worship together, Lord, let us worship with full hearts and open minds. And in that Lamb's name we pray. Amen.